This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. It is an off day for both the Mets and the Yankees. We should be all over how much juice there is and how much buzz as we get closer to first pitch of the Subway Series. But as you saw me just tweet out, Subway Series juice laughing emojis because, I mean, the most pronounced buzz surrounding the two teams right now with the highest payrolls in baseball playing in the number one market is that of them becoming sellers at the deadline. If the postseason started today, both these teams would be at home chilling. The Mets aren't even close to being in the picture. And the Yankees were given a lifeline this past weekend courtesy of the Kansas City Royals. So a little old to the scheduling gods. Put that series right there. And fun fact, Yankees end the season in Kansas City. So uh, make of that what you want. But it, we should really be engaged in uh, the home run chase between Alonzo and Judge and them possibly battling for MVP. We should be talking about two managers in, in the manager of the year conversation. Buck won it last year. We, we should also be talking about them possibly hooking up in October because that's what we were sold before the season. Uh, the, the sky was the limit. Mets, we're going to outspend everyone. Yankees, we were really close, if not for injuries. But right now, <laughs> we're smacked <laughs> with the reality that it's just two teams that, for different reasons, will come up short when it matters, and both are going to be staring at major decisions this coming off season. So I got a, a laugh earlier today as I'm perusing through Twitter. Shout out Anthony Pusick does a phenomenal job for the K-Show uh, as, as the producer. And he threw up in his show tweet, did the Yankees turn a corner? And I immediately read that and I'm st I started laughing. That was funny, actually. Because I'm thinking to myself, if, if sweeping the Royals is making a statement, then it really tells you how bad the Yankees had been prior to this series. Kansas City, coming into the weekend, was on pace to lose 117 games. That same Kansas City team today on pace to lose a buck 18. So, yes, was it great to see Stanton and DJ turn back the clock, hitting home runs on Saturday? Absolutely. And Rizzo, about damn time, you almost started to feel sorry for him. It had been so long since he last hit a home run. I guess the last time he hit a home run, Joe Leo was, you know, working multiple shifts and not leaving shows early. It's been that long. But it was good to see him yesterday come out of a slump. Uh, he, he had gone homerless in, in, what, two straight months? But I, I, honestly, it's hard for me to sit here, pound my chest, you know, run around the studio excited about a team that scored 18 runs this past weekend because they did it against the Royals, who have the third-worst team ERA in all of baseball. So everyone's scoring runs against the Royals. Everyone's beating the Royals. So I can't get caught up in sweeping them when they're one loss shy of being literally the worst team in baseball. But it just goes back to, well, you know, you just got to keep your head above water uh, until Judge gets back. And you haven't done that. You're five games under 500, you know, since his, you know, since his injury. 
I, I can't get excited about the Yankees. I can't look at a team two games back at the third wild card spot and say they're turning a corner. And then I listened to Boone after the game yesterday, and he says he still feels like they can be a really good team. Now, I guess he has to, right? Like he has to be optimistic. He has to be the press secretary that paints everything positively. But my question to him would be, what's the evidence? You still feel like you can be a really good team. Based on what? You're six games above 500 at the 100-game mark of the season. Your rotation is littered with question marks outside of your ace, Garrett Cole, who, by the way, having an underrated season, could win the Cy Young. Your lineup this weekend notwithstanding has been putrid. So uh, what what am I going to say about them beating the Royals? But if you are a believer, you quickly turn your attention to the Mets. Like I, I was going to say come into town, uh, come into the Bronx. Got to sweep them. You can't split this series because they're, they're staring the Yankees in the face is a, a daunting slate that sees them go to Baltimore, and it feels weird at the end of July saying they go to Baltimore to play the first-place Orioles. They just beat Tampa three or four this past weekend. So they, so they do that, then they play the Rays and the Astros. So it's a tough schedule coming up, which means that if you are someone still holding on to hope, believing that they can indeed turn this around, you got to sweep the Mets. It's not going to get any easier. you got to go into Baltimore with all the momentum. Five-game winning streak. And historically, we know what the case is. You are a team that pummels them. And I, they're different this year. All the tanking has helped them uh, become a team that right now is, you know, leading the division. But you still go into it with that psychological edge. And if you come into the series with a five-game winning streak, who knows what can happen. I'm not going to go there and say, yeah, this team has shown me enough to, you know, where I can be encouraged. But it's just if you are believing anything can happen, that's where you have to point the optimism toward. Now over to the Mets because they are the opponent <laughs> – in the Subway Series at Yankee Stadium beginning tomorrow. And I got to be honest, I, like we should be roasting the Mets every single day because all I heard during the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era was how little folks cared about the Nets. And then after every installment of that debacle, all I heard was people talking about the Nets. So you didn't care about them, but somehow they were always the topic of conversation. Meanwhile, you have the Mets who occupy a significant amount of real estate in this town, came into the year with high expectations, and it's been a dumpster fire. Did you see what happened at Fenway Park this past weekend? It, it, it is an absolute mess. So I, like, why aren't we crushing them on a daily basis? How pathetic they've been. This is year three of a five-year plan, and they're getting farther away from title contention. And things are so bad right now, it's like, well, you know, should they trade Scherzer and Verlander at the deadline? These were guys you had brought in to solidify you having the best rotation in baseball. Verlander coming off a Cy Young season. Scherzer, first battle Hall of Famer. Like, this was supposed to be 
the dynamic duo that delivered the goods, and you are so flagrantly pathetic that there is, I guess, an outside shot. It's highly unlikely, but the fact that we are even discussing the potential of you trading these guys away is an embarrassment. But it's going to be hard because in order for you to get rid of these guys, you got to pay, I mean, what, half of their contracts? And if you won't get anything of significance in return to help rebuild or retool and give you some established players who could help you in the future, you're going to have to probably play, uh, pay all of the salaries. And that's assuming that these guys waive their no-trade clauses. I mean, so what a mess it is in Queens. What a mess it is in the Bronx. Both teams are just flatlining. We're supposed to be hyped. We're supposed to be excited. I'm going to Yankee Stadium tomorrow to watch the game. And usually, like, there's a buzz where I'm amped. Sleepless night, I'm thinking about the electricity of the building. And I'm showing up to watch two teams who are essentially drawing dead. Feels like they, uh, the money I spent on the tickets, they should be paying me to watch this damn game. So let's get into it. 800-919-3776. Uh, in about 15 minutes, we're going to holler at Rich Samini, talk some Jets. Uh, top of the second hour, 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Jordan Renan. Giant training camp begins this week. So there's a whole lot to do. We're going to get a lot of football on the program. Throw some basketball in there as well. But I had to come on here and start with just how depressing it is, how deflating it is to be on the cusp of what should, should in theory have been a phenomenal series. And it's just like, is anybody excited about it at all? I'm interested to see what the vibrancy will be in the ballpark tomorrow. 800-919-3776. Ty D. Butler is where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. We're going until midnight, filling in for the guys, Larry and Gordon, on a Monday here in New York City. Ty Butler, right here on 98.7 ESPN. We suck. My this is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. For Yankee fans who sometimes unfairly get bashed on this station uh, just because of all the baggage, right? Being spoiled and complaining too much. I try my best to be the defense attorney for my fellow Yankee fans. Sometimes the, the criticism, I think, is unfair. But when I was listening to the K-Show earlier and someone had the audacity to call up and pretty much um, intimate that there was an issue with Judge and, and Stanton being at the Drake concert last night. Like, Why would you be there if you're Judge and you're rehabbing your injury? Really? You realize how lame you got to be to have that be you know, on your power rankings of complaints? Fam, if if we if Judge is that fragile and that brittle, he can't withstand attending a concert, walking around MSG, coming out with Drake. If he's that brittle, then the Yankees are in a world of trouble. Like we got issues way beyond anything that happened last night. 
But the fact that y'all out here complaining about Stanton and Judge on the night before a day off, hanging with Drizzy, it, that's that's crazy. That that's crazy talk. Sometimes people just go too far to prove their cornballs. So I wanted to I wanted to point that out. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's start off with Hot Take Johnny, who's in the car batting leadoff on the program. What's up, bro? Good evening, Ty. Big shout out to the company. You know, we at the company love when the dojo is open. So uh, appreciate it. Appreciate the love. Uh, you're welcome. Um, before I get to my mess point, I gotta say some people I think just believe athletes are not allowed to have lives outside of being athletes, which is just absolutely ridiculous. They're human beings. Like if you want to go to a concert the night before an off day, like are you are we not allowed to the night before we work? You know, night before a day off, are we not allowed to? Like, come on, man, get real. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I think some people just they feed off of the ability to complain. Like that's that's yeah. just how they operate. That it's a catalyst for their own happiness. It's like I need something to complain about, and that's that's where yep. they land. They gotta bring that. other people down to make themselves feel better. So, um, but anyway, on to my mess. Um, you and I were uh, on to how the Mets were probably about the same time. I remember you somehow sending out a tweet about mid June and uh, saying the Mets season was already done. Um, I've been uh, done with them since after the June 1st DNR outing. Uh, that week afterwards, they lost two or three, and I was they were dead to me at that point. I mean, I still watch, but no emotions. Um, I think the Mets absolutely have to be sellers, sell everything but essentially like Alonzo, Lindor, the young guys, and um, Nimmo. Anything else, see ya. Like, gone. Any, McNeil, if you can, something for him. Marte, if you can. I mean, just get young, any young pitching you can, double A, single A. Get arms in there because, as you see, their idea of signing 30-something-year-old pitchers just doesn't work out, and that's been their biggest flaw. You can't, you can't sign older pitchers and expect them to be who they were when they were in their 20s. I know Berlinger had a good year last year, but he was also coming up here and he didn't pitch. So yeah. I think the Mets just have to be sellers and get young arms. They are missing that in AAA. As you see right now, they have nothing to come up. Their offense will be all right. Even if it's average, that's enough to win. They need pitching, and they have to sell for that. They can't well, buy into being seven games back. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Here's, here's the thing, Johnny. I appreciate the call. So you named guys who you're excluding from the list of, uh, of selling, and it's the only guys who any teams would be interested in. Peter Alonso, the Mets would never trade him, but that is the piece that if you are selling would get back the most in, in return. You said Lindor. Uh, I mean, he's had a better season. Like, this is probably the best season he's had in a Met uniform. He, he, he struggled, but that's that's the guy you'd want to get off of. Nimmo, same deal. Like, if you're giving me Starling Marte, like, who wants him? He's He's been bad this year. He's actually played poorly since the injury going back to last season. And now he's dealing with the migraine situation, but... Uh, who are the guys that they're selling? That that's that's what makes this difficult. You're a team right now that has massively, you know, underperformed, but you don't have anything that is a hot commodity. You'd love for Scherzer and Verlander to be fantastic, and then a team come in and say, they, I, "I think they can help me win a championship." But Scherzer has not performed well. Verlander's actually been great in his last five outings, but you know he's also got a no trade clause. 
That's the situation the Mets find themselves in. Let's head to White Plains and holla at Sam. What's up, Sam? Call first time caller. Um, I'm curious to know specifically about guys like Mark Canna, Tommy Pham, rentals that still have some left in the tank, specifically about Pham. He's got a very reasonable contract, and he seems like he's been the Mets one of the more consistent options on offense. What do you make of him in terms of a deadline option? Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, the fact that he was able to come back from injury is good because it does provide the Mets with an avenue to now get rid of him. But I I just don't think you're getting a lot for those guys. I I, I don't think that we're going to get to the trade deadline. Tommy Pham and Mark Canna are going to produce, like, this surplus of, you know, desirable young talent that the Mets can then turn around and and in 2024 uh, become – further along in their plans of contention. So, yes, those are the obvious names you throw out there, David Robertson and some of the relievers uh, that, th- that have performed well for the Mets. It's just you're not getting a lot for these guys. <laughs> you're not getting a lot for these guys at all. Let's go to Buda in the Bronx. What's up, Buda? TB, the franchise. was good, baby? What it do, man? What it do? What's going on? All right, listen. And you know I love you, and I, you know it, it pains me when I have to go at you a little bit. Does it really but pain I'll, you? I, I think you, I think you take joy in it. You take pride in it. You know something? You're right. All right, but listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love me. I'm just joking. <laughs> Yo, you're a fool. Yo, but <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, though, Why man. You doing Bring it. What's going on? What's on your mind? What, what you got to get on me about? It, it, it's always something, but I look forward to it. I like, I like the back and forth. So what's going on? Lay it on me. Listen, and I know you like to troll the Mets, and I know you like to troll the Mets fan, and I got one sitting in the car with me, and she don't, and she don't like it too much. But, um, you know, you're talking about what's going on with the Mets and who they're going to trade and this, that, and the third. Listen. The Mets and Yankees are not that far off from either one of each other. But what I will say is, and I think you have to admit that, is that when you look at um, Beatty, Alvarez, you know, even Vientos, I mean, when you compare that with Volpe, you know, Peraz, (laughs) Cabrera, their future is a little bit brighter right now. And Eckler, right. first of all, listen. I'm going to let you finish. Go ahead. Eckler, Go ahead. No, no, no. The reason, why I say this, the reason why I say this, though, is when I say their future, I'm talking about their youth future. I'm not talking about the future of the team. But what you know, you know Eckler's getting fired this year. Is Cashman going anywhere? Nope. Nah. It's over. Right. It's over. Right. <laughs> so so his, that's his, his last name might as well like have the little hyphen at the end of it and say Steinbrenner. It's like Brian Cashman Steinbrenner. He ain't going anywhere. He, he's right. part of the family. Right. So listen, we can laugh at the Mets. And you know I'm a Yankee fan. Listen, I've been a Yankee fan since 76. You, you, you know I'm a Yankee fan, and I support you. I support them and all. The part where I would understand where the Mets fans like to get at you a little bit is, and and I know it's competitive, but look, it's they're bad right now, but there's a scenario where next year they're right back where they were a year ago. I don't know who. Listen, I don't know if Buck survives this. That 
Buck surviving this is also, you know, uh, it's not it's a non-disclaimer. Because as bad as Apple has been, you know, the blooms come off the rose a little bit with Buck, to be honest with you. And, and, and really what Buck screwed up was with the Bogaback stuff. You know, similar to um, whatever was going on there with Hicks and Donaldson. At a certain point, you know, to legitimize, you know, you as a, a general manager and as a manager, you can't attach yourself or, or ride or die with, with guys who, let's be honest, their baseball and MLB, you know, careers are tenuous at best. So, mm. you know, you know, I, I feel bad, you know, for the Mets in a certain extent. I never disliked the Mets. I never had that hatred, like, as a Yankee fans for the Mets. The Mets weren't good until there was a certain time period where the Yankees weren't good. You know, those Ricky Henderson. Yeah. But you listen, know, here's the, the thing, boy, and my bad. I'm, I'm, I'm up against the clock because I got to hit Rich Amini here at the bottom of the hour. I appreciate the call. Holler at me offline. You can offline me. But here's the thing. So you say – the Mets and the Yankees, they're not that far apart. Well, the Yankees technically still have a chance of making the playoffs. They're just two games back of the Blue Jays for the third wild card spot. But another thing that I don't understand is, like, all I'm told by Mets fans on this station, Yankee fans don't have a right to complain because at least you're better than the Mets. And now I have a Yankee fan telling me that, no, you're not that much better than the Mets. The Mets actually might have a better future. So that's where I, I'm, like, mystified. I'm dumbfounded. Where, where do we side? Who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, am I allowed to complain uh, because I'm right there with the Mets and their future might be a little brighter? Or am I not allowed to complain because at least we're not the Mets? So it's just... It gets hazy to me, and I, I, I can't quite figure out which one is the correct path. 800-919-3776. If you're on hold, stay there. We're going to hit Rich Cimini, uh with a quick update on the Jets, who are in the midst of training camp. Hard knock cameras are rolling. So let's talk some football. New jerseys dropped today. Everybody's all excited and geeked up. Let's talk to Rich coming up right here on 9870 ESPN. He stinks! This is the Ty Butler Show. On 98.7 ESPN. And chat with a guy who's been doing this for quite some time, covering the Jets, the ins and outs. But I can tell uh, this has a little bit of a different feel this ceiling. Rich Samini, what's going on, man? How, how's everything? Great. Thanks for having me. By the way, knowing Dave Rothenberg, I'm not surprised at all that that would be uh, <laughs> played at his wedding. <laughs> oh, man. that's Would you have that at your wedding, Rich? The NFL music, uh, you're... I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would pass muster, uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I feel you, Rich. Rich, so uh, you've been covering the Jets for for a long time now. What is the difference coming into this training camp, just from a buzz standpoint, the energy, you know, what people are saying around the building? What's the difference this season as opposed to what we've been subjected to? You know, the misery for the past better better part of the past two decades. Right. Uh, well, you know, Ty, it reminds me of uh, 2008 when they had Brett Favre. You know, it was the same type of excitement and buzz going into the season. The one difference being that this was like a longer runway because Rodgers got here in April, and really we knew he was coming in March. It was just a matter of getting that deal done, which took forever, as we all know. But it was a really long runway into the season, which is kind of built up the momentum, you know, to this loud crescendo, whereas Favre arrived in early August. 
and it was sort of parachuted in from the sky. And once he landed, things accelerated quickly. But, you know, I, I think those are the differences between the two situations. In both cases, both teams immediately started thinking of themselves as a Super Bowl contender. So I want to ask you this, because prior to Rodgers' arrival, there was all the chatter about you know him possibly coming here and it being a nightmare as far as uh, the controversial you know stances he, he can have at times. He's polarizing. He can be a little bit mercurial. Uh, what is your feel on you – know, obviously, you don't know what's going to happen, but based off of your interaction so far and being around the building – do, do you envision a guy like Aaron Rodgers like being subjected to that type of uh, situation here in New York, or do you think he's just going to play this the right way and, and, and things will work out from a media standpoint? Well, so far he's put on a clinic in how to handle uh, you know, a media that he's not familiar with, how to get the fan base to buy into him. I mean, from the moment he arrived, you know, that uh, initial press conference where he started talking about lonely Super Bowl trophies and and then showing up at the Garden and the Tonys and dancing to Taylor, Taylor Swift at MetLife. I mean, he's hit all the right notes. He, he said all the right things in all these press conferences. Um, I think we've probably talked to him a half a dozen times so far, and he's just been on point. Now, look, it's the honeymoon phase. He hasn't thrown an interception yet. They haven't lost a game yet. So we'll see how things go when we get into those, you know, the, the inevitable adversity that will come. But so far, I mean, I think Jet fans have to be excited about the way that he's comported himself since coming here. Talking to Rich Zamini right here on ESPN New York tonight, Ty Butler filling in. Rich, I, I am conflicted because Robert Sala, he comes across very likable. Uh, as a Jet fan myself, it is a breath of fresh air to see someone who's got command on the sidelines. He's energetic. He's holding guys accountable. I simply can't ignore the fact that in his first two years, he's 11-24. and 24. Year one had the league's worst defense. Last year, a major improvement, but still not a lot of winning. He now has the quarterback, but you know how much pressure is on him in year three you can't survive in the in the NFL with three straight years not making the playoffs. So, you know, what what does he have to do this year uh, to solidify himself as the head coach going forward? Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. It's, you know, in the uh, instant gratification society we live in now, it's really hard in the NFL to go three straight years, especially your first three years, you know, not to make the playoffs. So I, I think that will probably be the benchmark for him. There is pressure. Um you know, he probably won't admit it publicly, but he knows, you know, he's going to have to deliver this year or else he'll probably be out of a job. First year, I think, was just basically a rebuilding year. I mean, that was a tear it down and starting over year. Uh, so they won only four games. I, I don't think anyone expected him to win more than that. And last year, you know, they were doing great. And we, we saw the bottom drop out. And I think uh, he's done a really good job of building a culture around this team. I think they have good chemistry. It's a good locker room. They don't have many jerks or earth any at all that I've come across. So they put together a good character team, and I think that coach deserves a lot of credit. Last year he made some mistakes, you know, the way he handled the quarterback situation. You know, it was a constant, you know, musical chairs. This year he won't have to deal with that. I mean, if Rodgers stays healthy, there's there's only one guy who's going to play quarterback. So that. That'll resolve that. Someone asked Salah, I think it was, it was a few weeks ago, about being, feeling more pressure. 
of having a guy like Rogers. And he actually said, it makes my job easier. And there's a lot of truth to that as well, because he doesn't have to coddle the quarterback like he did Zach Wilson. And he knows Rogers is basically going to run the offense. So that takes some pressure off the coach as well. But bottom line, wins and losses, sure, there's absolutely pressure. I keep coming back to as high as I am on the Jets and the potential of this team. It is a significant jump to go from where you were last year, and I'm talking about the players on the roster, not named Aaron Rodgers, and I guess Lazard and Cobb. Where you were last year playing games – and now to this season, every game is significant. You're on national television a bunch. You're going to be on every talk show in America. That leap going from where you were last year to this year, how much do you think that's going to play a factor in what this team can ultimately become? So we know the Jets have a 12-year 12, 12 playoff drought, as everybody knows. <clears throat> they only won seven games last year. Uh, let's go back to 2020 with Tampa Bay. and Tom Brady gets to Tampa Bay. Their playoff drought was exactly 12 years, and they were coming off a seven-win season, and they went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady. So, you know, that would be the counter-argument to what the point you just brought up. It's been done and done very recently in NFL history. So, but you're right. I mean, it's a big jump. Like, like Roger said it the other day uh, when someone asked Aaron about what's the biggest challenge for this team. He goes, the biggest challenge for this team is going to be handling prosperity. One, that shows a lot of confidence in the team, the fact that they will be dealing with prosperity. So that's a good thing. The other thing is, you know, how are they going to handle it? You know, not many guys on this team have been to a Super Bowl or deep in the playoffs. So that'll be an adjustment for sure. What do you expect from the defense this year? And who are some, you know, key X factors that we can look to on that side of the ball that ranked fourth best in all of football last season? Yeah, obviously a major improvement last year. In fact, in terms of points per game, it was the second biggest turnaround in the last 48 years in the NFL, which is just staggering. So that's a, that's a credit to the players and the coaches. And let's mention Jeff Ulbricht, the defensive coordinator. He probably doesn't get enough credit for that. He did a really good job as well. And so uh, they're coming in as, as the number four ranked defense from last year. Their goal, that which they've already talked about, is to be number one. It's really hard. When you have a big jump like that in one year, I looked it up historically, it's really hard to maintain your position. So that's what they'll be up against. But they have nine starters back, if you count the nickel back, Michael Carter. So that's really good continuity. I mean, how often in the NFL do you get nine starters back? You know, uh, So that's, that's a plus. And I think, you know, safety position is going to be interesting. You know, they wanted Chuck Clark to be their other starter. He's obviously out for the year, so that's an open competition. And I think, uh, you know, they're looking for another defensive tackle. We know Quinn and Williams, you know, locked in, of course, but who's the other guy? Is it, is it going to be uh, Al Woods? Is it going to be Quentin Jefferson? I think it'll be a rotation. And I also think, to me, one of the more interesting stories on defense is Jermaine Johnson. He's been uh, – an absolute beast in camp so far. Now, granted, they haven't had the pads on, but uh, he's looked really good, and they expect him to take a big jump in, in year two. What are we seeing from Makai Becton? That's going to be a, a big storyline we know this year. He's, he looks like he's in excellent shape. Uh, he's playing for a, a contract that's going to pick up his fifth-year option. What's he played, like 44 snaps the last two years? Uh, what is the feel on him right now as you're watching him in camp? 
Well, to me, he's really the, maybe the most compelling guy in camp who's not named Rogers uh, because uh, you're right about the contract situation. So, I mean, he's done a tremendous job with conditioning. I mean, he was, he was 400 pounds a little over a year ago. I mean, it looked like he was going to, you know, eat himself out of the league. And to his credit, he's lost over 50 pounds. He, he came in about 340. He looks fantastic. I mean, you see him on the field. You don't even recognize him. Uh, he's practicing, which is a plus. Uh, basically, like you said, you know, he's basically played very little football over the last two years, but he's practicing. Not practicing with Aaron Rodgers, you know, and, and the starters. So, he, even though Dwayne Brown has been on the pup list at left tackle, uh, they've been going mostly with Billy Turner, and uh, Mackay has been filling in on the second team. So, um, so that's, that bears watching. I don't think Mackay is locked in 100%. Uh, has a roster spot. There's there's some real good competition going on there at ta- tackle. Rich, we got to get you on hard knocks. How how do we how do we get that to happen? You you got to make sure you're standing in the right places. Uh, are are you preparing for that? Well, being a hard knock veteran, because I I was with the Jets in 2010 when they were on hard knocks. I I kind of know how you have to go about that. You know, you have to ask kind of outrageous questions in press conferences. You have to find the, the cameras and, and, you know, position yourselves in certain areas strategically to get on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's fun. The cameras are obviously there. Um, the Jets, we all know they didn't want this. As Aaron Rodgers said, they shoved it down our throat, but I think they're trying to make the best of it. The first show airs, what, uh, August 8th or August 5th is coming up, I think, next Tuesday. So they'll have plenty of stuff to put on the air. And uh, I'm curious to see how they handle it because I think it'll be a modified version of the usual hard knocks. So uh, I'm curious to see how they uh, – because the Jets have editorial control, just like all teams do in hard knocks. So we'll see what gets, what gets on the air. Part of me does feel like – and I know Rodgers has come out and – you know, isn't the biggest fan of it. But part of me also feels like he's going to enjoy it. He is someone, you know, like a LeBron, like a Brady, who does in some ways like to control the narrative. So I, I, I got a, a sneaky feeling this is going to be something that's up his alley. Uh, and, and maybe he, he maybe he's leading, you know, he's not telling us that, but it, it's just my, my feeling. Well, I think he knows the entire state of Wisconsin is going to be watching. And... <laughs> You know, you know, and he's going to want to put on a, a very uh, happy face and, and be motivated and look like he's loving life in New York, which I think he is, and send that message across to the Midwest and let those folks, those chief heads know that there is life after Green Bay. I, I think without question, he is highly motivated. Um, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I've talked to people who know him, and they say you can see it. He's motivated. He wants to he wants to prove a point. Even though the guy's won four MVPs, a Super Bowl, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, he's still got a point to prove. And uh, I think that's, you know, good timing for the Jets. They're getting a highly motivated Aaron Rodgers. All he's heard about since 2010 is, you know, those – 
shortcomings in the postseason, losing as the higher seed at home to inferior teams. He could get it done here. I, I, I'm dreaming about it already, Rich. If he could get it done here, I mean, what, what that would do for his resume all time would be fantastic. I'm actually really excited for you. You're a tremendous, you know, you're tremendous at what you do, but getting a chance to cover a team that in theory should be this fun every week nationally, you know, tele, not every week nationally televised, but they're a big conversation. So I'm thrilled for you, man. So enjoy the ride. I, I look forward to uh, chopping it up with you going forward, Rich. Well, thanks. You know, as journalists, we, we all want to cover the big story, and right now the Jets are the big story. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, just call me anytime. We'll talk Jets. Shout out Syracuse Newhouse. <laughs> Rich Samini. Thanks for coming go. on the program. Shout out. For <laughs> thanks sure. for coming on the show. That's Rich Samini. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm just, man, if you could see me smiling ear to ear when he talks about the chip that Rodgers has on his shoulder. I, I, I try to contain the enjoyment and, you know, being psyched. But uh, football season being that close and having a chance to really <laughs> root for a team that's important, that's going to have some, some, some staying power in the national conversation, uh, I, I'm excited. I can't wait for it to happen. September 11th is when it all kicks off right here on 987 ESPN. 800-919-3776. Uh, we will get back to the phone calls. Jordan Renan is going to join us at the top of the hour to talk Giants. Still a whole lot to do as we march toward midnight right here on 98.7 ESPN. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. 